Welcome to the Retirement Risk Show, the best retirement interviews and advice with Dave Hall. Learn strategies to help you reduce and even eliminate the risks facing your retirement. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Dave Hall. I am your host. We are back again. It's that time of the week where we talk about the longest self-imposed period of unemployment most of you will face in your lifetime. It could be 10 years. It could be 20. Heck, it might even be 30 or 40. It is what we call retirement. If you're looking to get safely through retirement, go to my website, retirementriskadvisors.com. Here you're going to get access to our educational tools as well as our planning resources so we can help you take the worry out of your retirement. This month, we're talking about tax rate risk. We're going to be talking about the future of taxes, what they look like, maybe talk a little bit about the history of taxes, going back to when they started back in 1913. To help me with this today, I brought in my partner, Brian Brett. Brian, welcome to the show. Good morning, Dave. Great to be here. Brian, it's always fun to get together like this. Uh, we teach a lot together. Uh, we go into uh, some live events together. Not done a lot in the podcast space. So if you could, if you could introduce yourself a little bit, make sure our audience knows as much about you as you want them to. Sure. We'll be happy to. So uh, my background kind of goes back to 1986 when I first got into the business one year before the great stock market crash of 1987. And what really is interesting to me as I look back on that time, when I began in the business, everything was about asset management and gathering assets to manage for clients. My specialty was large cap value stocks. I was a senior advisor for Lehman Brothers. I then moved over to Payne Weber for many years and finished my career with big companies in 2010 after spending 11 years as a senior VP with Merrill Lynch. So I've seen a a bunch of changes that have occurred in the industry. And the one that really stands out to me the most is tax rates. So just to, to give you a quick story, in 1974, the year they invented IRAs, my dad we were living in New York City. He was working in sales in the computer raised floor business. That were those big square steel panels with carpeting on them that they would build mainframe computer rooms out of. And back in 1974, my dad told me he made about $160,000. So he was, he was a rock star. God rest his soul. And his CPA at that time said, hey, there's this new thing called an IRA. You can defer some of your money. This way, when you get into retirement, you're probably not going to be in a in the same bracket that you're in today. Well, let's first talk about what bracket he was in. Making $160,000, he was in an 80% marginal combined bracket. So that was 70% federal and roughly between New York State and then New York City tax maybe he was around 10%. And again, this is marginal. It wasn't like he was giving away 80% of every penny he made, but he was in the official 80 bracket. When he retired as a wealthy man, he was in the 22% bracket. So that was a brilliant strategy to postpone paying taxes and hoping they'd be lower when you get into retirement, right? And it worked out. And it wasn't because my dad was making no money in retirement. He lived very comfortably in retirement. The reason he was in the 22 bracket is tax rates cratered. 
they went from a, a high of 70% to a high of 28%. That was the, the low point of the highs recently. And of course, today we know that no matter how much money you can make a million dollars in a year, you're still only at a 37 federal marginal bracket. So that idea of pushing forward, postponing, kicking the can down the road was a brilliant strategy. But now we're on the other side of history. We're now at a point where those baby boomers that are retiring, 78 million of them total, 10,000 a day are hitting retirement age and asking for Medicare. They're leaving the workforce. The government has a major problem, right? We owe something like 31 trillion with a T dollars of debt. We have 10,000 people a day leaving the party. And instead of earning and paying a bunch of money on their income, they're leaving the workforce and asking for Medicare, right? So that's just the tip of the iceberg of the problem. So I, I really see today a major issue that I think you and I and organizations like ours are starting to slowly educate the population to say, hey, kicking down the road is not a great idea anymore because we are right now at the third lowest tax bracket in the last 90 years, right? As far as the, the whole system, right? If you look at our high, 37%, that's the third lowest it's been in 90 plus years. So right now, I think what we're finding, you and I, Dave, as we meet with people, and, and of course, uh, most of our clients are CPAs, when they have that epiphany that, you know what, the old pushing down the, the road and hoping for lower rates is probably not the best way to go. So anyway, just that's just a, a, a little side story. But today, most of the focus that uh, I have in my practice is really financial planning, tax management, and risk mitigation when it comes to actual money invested. And that seems to be what most people getting ready for retirement want to focus on. I got started talking about tax rates heavily in about 2019. So we've had about four years now since I first started really pushing the topic. Very interesting at that time, I would bring it up to CPAs, especially most of them didn't believe it. They looked at where they were at. And especially if you were a tax CPA, maybe you build a lot of your practice on the fact that you were going to put pe people's money into deferred retirement accounts and then be able to transition it out at some future date. Therefore, you were showing a great reduction of tax to those clients you were working with. Then here we fast forward to 2023. Not only are people like myself who educate on the topic, having webinars and podcasts, many of us are writing books. And what we're finding is that a large majority of people are slowly making that transition saying, yeah, I can see what you're talking about. If we've got this national debt that could be up to $50 trillion by the time we hit 2030, if we've got Social Security and Medicare, as you mentioned, bringing 10,000 people a day into the program and only losing about 6,000 a day saying, hey, we're getting a net four that have to have all those costs covered, as well as not having as many people in the workforce to cover all of that. We've got some issues going on there. Yeah. You, you make a good point too about the CPAs building their practice around part of their advice being postponed, right? But you got to think about that. All of their professors in college, all of their mentors, if they worked for an experienced CPA when they first got out of school, Everybody said the same thing, right? It said postpone, postpone, postpone. So you get into, just like all of us as, as professionals, you get into a particular rhythm or a particular process 
that you tend to just go through with your clientele. And sometimes someone's going to kind of say, hey, hey, look over here. Things have kind of changed since you started doing that process. So, you know, we obviously are, our CPAs are highly educated, super smart people. They know finance, they know what they're doing. But sometimes I think it takes someone outside the box. Let's just call it that, right? Someone outside the box to say, you might want to just take a look at this angle that maybe you haven't considered. And you and I have seen it how many times, uh, just an epiphany where people, they go from oh, I'm going to postpone to, I want to put everything in my Roth IRA, 100%, right? We have to kind of rein them in like, wait a minute, you don't want to do all of it. You want to still leave some of it in the deferred spot, but it's got to be the right amount. When I look at this, what I often refer to that old paradigm is the old traditional plan. When we look at the way we were taught as, as CPAs, and again, it's a lot like gambling. You know, People are pretty happy to tell you when they win and you're very excited, but if you were to follow most of them after they got that win, chances are they lost all that money and then some. Well, that happens to some level with the old traditional retirement uh, educating saying, hey, we're going to give you this great deferral today. You see this deduction. My taxes went down $10,000 without any discussion at all that, hey, those taxes could be double 10, 20 years from now. We've got to get ourselves in a position to do that. Well, you know, you just reminded me of a great point. You know, being human beings, we tend to try to deal with the pain that is closest to us, right? So if you have a tax bill and your CPA says, oh, you know, you owe $42,000 this year, you're trying to figure out a way to reduce that pain. Well, what if I max fund my solo 401k and I put in $64,000, then what will I owe, right? So you're just trying to push that pain away. And again, our clients are very numbers driven. When you look at the actual spreadsheet of your life, and when we build a financial plan for someone, how we spreadsheet out every year until they're a hundred years old, that I think is the epiphany where a lot of our clients look at and they go, oh my God, there's no way I want to keep doing what I'm doing because look how much better off I would be if I just did things differently. So just getting back to what you were mentioning, Dave, a lot of times when people understand the problem, they understand the, the, the debt. They understand the people leaving the workforce. They understand the very high probability that taxes have to be much higher in the future at some point. They sometimes do a complete 180, right? And they just want to start moving 100% of their money out of their 401ks and their IRAs and put 100% of their contributions into nothing but Roth. And, you know, something that you and I teach and, you know, a lot of the stuff that you teach now online is similar to what I taught for five years at UCSD in their business department, where we would teach about how the world of retirement planning has changed so much in the last five to 10 years. I started teaching at UCSD in 2015. And basically, the major change, of course, is the possibility of the opposite of what my dad dealt with, the possibility of taxes being much higher than they are lower when you retire, right? But the other thing is there's something that we talk about in the class called MIB. And it does not stand for men in black, as you know. It stands for mathematically ideal balance. So you and I as planners, we know that when we go and sit down in front of the software, there are mathematically ideal balances in each of the three buckets that tend to make 
the plans perform better. So what are the three buckets, right? So we have our money that's going to be taxable in the year that we earn any income dividends or capital gains on it, right? So that's going to be money like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, CDs, bonds, anything that's sitting outside of our retirement accounts would most likely be considered our immediately taxable money upon making any type of gain, uh, regardless of what type it is. And then the middle bucket, as we call it, because we used to write these buckets on the board at UCSD. So I say the middle bucket, you have to visualize me standing in front of a class of 50 people writing these squares on the board. The middle bucket would be that tax postponement money, money that we've never paid taxes on and eventually someday we'll have to. And then the bucket all the way to the right would be the money that we put into things that are tax-free forever. Right. So that could be a Roth IRA, a Roth 401k, a Roth conversion account. It could be cash accumulating inside of a life insurance policy. All those things are, are going to be tax free forever. So the mathematically ideal balances in the taxable money. Obviously, it's not our favorite place to build wealth. Not saying we don't want you to have money that's immediately available for an emergency, but we, we don't want to use that as a big part of our wealth accumulation strategy. So typically, we want to see six months worth of complete full-blown expenses sitting someplace that's immediately accessible, not at risk, right? So if we have someone that's spending 10 grand a month to pay for all their bills, we'd like to see 60 grand laying in a checking or a savings account. Always left there, not touched, right? Okay. But let's go to that middle bucket. And as I was insinuating, a lot of times when our clients have the epiphany that, oh my God, taxes could and probably will be much, much higher than they are today, they want to empty out their tax deferred bucket. And we don't necessarily want to do that. What we want to do is we want to leave in that bucket the maximum amount of money that we can so that when our required minimum distributions are forced upon us, right? We have no choice at that point. We have to take them out. That when we take those RMDs, they are less than our standard deduction. So it's a neat little trick that you and I use all the time, obviously, where you can have money in that tax deferred bucket. You've never paid income taxes on it. And if done correctly, you never will. It's better than a Roth. Right. Because in a Roth, I had to pay the taxes on that money to get the money into the Roth. But this is the best thing ever where I can have never paid tax on the money that sits in that deferred bucket and then take it out without paying tax. But only if there is the correct amount of money in that bucket. So when you calculate RMDs, they are less than the standard deduction. And that strategy, we call that the standard deduction strategy. It doesn't always work. It depends on what your other income sources look like, right? So you got rental income, you got an awesome pension, good for you, but that's going to change how much we leave in that tax deferred bucket. And what about the third bucket, the uh, tax-free bucket, Brian? Let's talk a little bit about that one as well. So, I mean, the way that you and I design our plans is typically we want to have our six months in the taxable bucket, right? We want to have the maximum we can in that middle bucket, only that we can take it out tax-free, never paying tax. And then everything else should live in that tax-free bucket. So certainly, Our tax-free buckets, when we build our plans, are the biggest. 
eventually the biggest buckets of all three. But that fallacy that it's so easy to just push everything over to tax-free and empty out your IRAs and 401ks, never do that. We need to calculate, as I said, based on what all the other income sources are, what is the most we can leave in the tax-deferred bucket and never pay taxes on it when we pull it out. It's, it's the ultimate trick. More than 50% of CPAs will run out of money in retirement, and this number is projected to grow because of risks like inflation, increased longevity, and rising healthcare costs. Retirement Risks Advisors has the perfect solution to help CPAs make their money last as long as they do. Learn more by signing up for our flagship webinar, Getting Safely Through Retirement. In this webinar, we share the top 10 financial risks CPAs will face in retirement and what can be done to reduce or eliminate each risk. To get started, visit retirementriskadvisors.com slash safe. Really what we're looking at from an asset standpoint is you're going to have Roth accounts inside of there, anything with the name of Roth. You're going to have permanent life insurance inside of there. Again, if you get your tax deferred balance down to where it should be, in theory, it's tax-free. If you look at it, it's in that tax-free bucket now because you have that standard deduction. And if you get to a point where you don't have provisional income, Social Security's now in there. So there's multiple streams going in and becomes this great tool, especially as we look to the future saying, Saying, taxes are going to have to go up. We, we've got all this debt and liability. And if we look at it, Brian, I often like to come back to individual families. You know, if I've got too much debt out there as a family, what are my real solutions to solve that problem? Well, I, I can end up uh, saving some more money somehow, spending less, saying, hey, I'm going to have more money available because I'm going to cut my bills down. And so I have a little left at the end of the month. I can go earn more, you know, which in the form of government's uh, additional taxes, I can borrow additional money from someone where else, but you finally get to a point that's not an option. Now, from a government side, they can print money, which we tried that with modern monetary theory, and it didn't turn out well at all. And it's never going to because it only works in a low inflationary environment, but it creates inflation. So we look across the board, Brian, is now how important is all this to our audience to say, hey, you've got to take all this in consideration. Realize the government's pretty much taken all the other options, but increasing revenue through taxes off the table. If we get to a $50 trillion debt and tons of Social Security liability and tons of Medicare, we're pretty much stuck as a country at that point, in my opinion. I totally agree with you. And, and really, there's not that many options left. That's why we as planners find it so critical that our clients are exposed to the options that are actually out there, right? So we talked about that one, the required minimum distribution strategy, where we're able to get that out using the provisional income. But you mentioned uh, another one as far as Social Security goes. So provisional income, right, is the formula that the government uses to figure out, are you going to pay taxes on your Social Security or are you not, right? So the three tax brackets for Social Security would be 0%, would be 50% of the income will be taxable as ordinary income or 85%. And when you think about that, it would be really nice and it doesn't always work. Again, it depends on what the whole picture looks like, but it would be really nice if you can get Social Security for free as well. So here, here's kind of like the ultimate plan, right? If I could say, hey, in my mind, what would my fantasy plan be for every client? It doesn't work, right? But if I could m wave my magic wand and grant this wish to all of our clients, I would say, number one, you pay zero income tax on your Social Security forever. Number two, you pay zero income tax 
on your required minimum distributions. And number three, a lion's share of your income is coming from the tax-free bucket after that, that third bucket, right? And that provisional income strategy also has to be calculated to the dollar. You could be over the limit by $1 and you can go from a 0% situation to paying taxes on half of your social security. And that you may not think that's that big of a deal, but we've done a lot of studies on this. And what we have found is if you can engineer the chess pieces on the board to where you don't have to pay taxes on social security, that actually adds five to seven years of longevity not to your life, sorry, we can't do that, but <laughs> of longevity to your money, right? So if I had someone that that was going to run out of money at 95 years old, right? And we could just figure out a way to keep them right under that line where Social Security doesn't get taxed at all, it literally can push them to 100 years old. And that, I think, is an epiphany for a lot of people. And we see it happen all the time. And when we look out there, those that listen to the show on a regular basis, you know, I had David Walker on the show not too long ago who wrote the best-selling book, Come Back America. He's recently wrote a new book, America 2040, Still a Superpower Question Mark, where he's doubling down on the fact that taxes are going to have to double if we're going to get where we need to be. So if we look to the future and say, look, I could be in a position where I'm paying double the rate I am now. If you're in a 10%, now it's 20. If you're in a 12%, now it's 24. If you're in the 24%, which is where we find most people, now you could be in a 48. That has a huge impact. If you just think back over the last few years and the impact this inflation's had, as we've gone through 6 7 8% inflation rates, I get all the time having people complain about it, saying it's too much. You know, My budget can't handle this. Well, now all of a sudden you double those taxes uh, either by themselves or on top of items like this you start realizing how quickly people are going to start running out of money and why the biggest concern America has is that they're going to run out of money, 68%, and why half of America is ending up having it happen. Well, and I totally agree with that, but I, I have a question for you because I've heard your answer on this during our classes, and I always love the way that you explain it. And I tend to get it a lot. And I always say to myself, oh, I wish Dave was on this call with me because you just explained it better than I do. So one theory I've heard is, well, the government, the way they're going to pay back all that $31 trillion is they're just going to inflate the dollar. Can you just explain why that doesn't work for everybody? Because I love the way you put it. Yeah, because when you look at it, I mean, it's a lot like a balloon. You know, you get to a point where you just blow it up, you blow it up, and all of a sudden uh, end up uh, getting to a point it's going to pop. You're going to have problems. But remember, if we're inflating the dollar for the government, we're inflating the dollar for ourselves. So as you look across the board, you're saying, okay, yeah, we have more money on the front end where, where we've got the money coming in. The government's now saying, hey, we'll just uh, make sure that we've got this 6 7% inflation. But on the back end, they're paying six, seven, eight percent, maybe in some areas, we've got way more overall inflation than that, that they're ending up having to pay out. So all of a sudden you're saying, wait, all we did is shuffled the uh, deck chairs on the Titanic. We're back to the same exact situation, but with bigger numbers. I, I think that's something a lot of people don't think about. But let me ask you this. Wouldn't it also, though, if that happened and they just kept inflating all of the financial plans that we build today? are typically showing a 3% lifetime inflation rate, right? Yeah. That would be totally off. 
right? Because then if you think you need 100 grand in retirement, you really need 140 or 150 because of the devaluation of the dollar, right? So for people that argue, oh, the government's going to pay their debt off by inflating and they're not going to raise taxes, well, even if that were the case, the flip side of that beating on the individual would be your expenses would be much higher to live on. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's And it's the problem that you have when you look at it from an inflationary standpoint. Now, today's show is not about inflation, but I want you to understand too, as well, listeners, when we look at it, we do believe that it's coming down. Now, if they'll stop printing money, we'll see it come faster than uh, later. But when we look at it from an overall standpoint, the baby boomers have already hit their peak spending and the millennials won't start. So we may even go to a period of deflation. That's not something that's taught by a lot of advisors, but it is something that I believe could happen as we look over the next few years. And remember, average inflation for the last hundred years. Think of all the things you've gone through. Brian talked about 1987, what he went through there as he got started. I got started heavily in the industry right before 2000. So the thing we have in common, Brian, we I started in 99, right before everything collapsed in 2000, as we looked at what happened there. And then we have 2008. Well, as you, you go through all those periods of time, overall inflation has only been 2.8%. So as we look over the future, no reason for us to believe if we can get some of this stuff under control will be any different than where we've been in the past. Well, and your point about demographics, I think, is interesting because that generation right behind the boom was only 50 million. The boom was 78 million. So that, that shortage of 28 million people spending that much less, borrowing that much less, basically creating economic activity that much less. Ultimately, deflation is really a potential. I remember I had breakfast with Ben Bernanke, believe it or not. And, and it wasn't just me and Ben, don't get all impressed. I, I was in a room of 150 people and I happened to be at his table. Totally like, you know, nothing to do with me, right? But anyway, you know, just got talking to Ben Bernanke, the former Fed chairman. He was not the Fed chairman yet, by the way. I'm sure he never would have sat with me if he was the Fed chairman. But anyway, he basically, we were talking about you know, what are the biggest risks to America in the next 20 to 30 years? And he said the opposite of what everybody in the room thought he would say. He said deflation. Everybody in the room thought it was going to be inflation. This had to be 15 years ago. He basically said deflation is his biggest concern as an economist to the United States that we will get to a point where we will not be able to maintain our level of economic growth and prosperity because of that huge gap between the number of boomers and the number of, what is it, Gen X, right, is the next one? Yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. So uh, I found that uh, that's the only thing I remember, and then he signed the book. But I just remember that <laughs> one thing. I was like, man, that guy just said deflation, and all I've heard from everybody was inflation. Right. So, uh, yeah, in interesting. Brian, our time is gone. It's amazing how quick the time goes on these uh, shows. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. No, it was great to, to be here and uh, look forward to coming back and chatting with you again. Yeah, listeners, uh, join us next week where we'll have another episode of the show talking about the various risks that are going to impact your retirement and how they may cause you to run out of money uh, five or seven years faster as we talk about provisional income, maybe 15 years faster because of sequence return, or who knows what it'll end up being because of these increased tax rates. My name's Dave Hall. I've been your host. Look forward to seeing you again next week. And that's today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. 
We come out with a new episode every Friday morning and you don't want to miss it. The Retirement Risk Show is a production of the Retirement Risk Advisors. Our show was produced by C.R. Talene and Autumn Koenig. If you're a CPA looking for more retirement education, visit retirementriskadvisors.com.